Our scripture this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. And uh, I invite you to find that in your text or to follow along on the screens. I'm going to be using the message paraphrase this morning. Uh, So that may help you to follow the screens along as we read from chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. And if you'll stand in honor of God's word this morning. One time, when Jesus was off praying by himself, his disciples nearby, he asked them, What are the crowds saying about me, about who I am? They said, John the baptizer. Others said, Elijah. Still others said that one of the prophets from long ago has come back. He then asked, And you, what are you saying about me? Who am I? Peter answered, The Messiah of God. Jesus then warned them to keep it quiet. They were to tell no one what Peter had said. He went on, It is necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the religious leaders, high priests, and religion scholars, and be killed, and on the third day be raised up alive. And then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to find yourself your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you, If any of you is embarrassed with me in the way I'm leading you, know that the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all his splendor in company with the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky by and by. Some who have taken their stand right here are going to see it happen, see with their own eyes the kingdom of God. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. We are launching a new sermon series this morning titled, Because of Christ, Everything Has Changed. And this series is the second in a series of sermons that relate to setting sail, our visioning process. You know, the past few years we've been praying and dreaming together about what God is calling us to be and to do, and now we're living into those dreams. We're setting sail in obedience and anticipation of God's dreams for us as a congregation. And so as we begin this series, I wanted us to review the five sails or the areas of focus where we're headed. The first one, God-centered worship. We love God. And we just finished a sermon series focused on that sail. Today we focus on life-changing faith, the idea that we follow Christ. Authentic relationships. We love others. Community transformation. We help others. And global partners, we share Christ. The five sales and the five focus that we'll have throughout the years as we dream together. So today we begin our focus on life-changing faith. And this is our preferred future related to this sale. Our preferred future is that First Baptist Church leads every person to follow the way of Christ, discover their giftedness, and experience continual life transformation. All generations are rooted in a biblical, hope-filled faith and experience the joy and significance of service. This is what we believe God is calling us 
to begin to do. And so we'll be focusing that on the next few Sundays. And in short, that means we follow Christ. And because of Christ, everything has changed. Okay, most everything has changed. A lot. A lot has changed. Okay, maybe not much has changed, but more than Ted and Susie. I mean, talk about zero change. Change is hard. It doesn't matter if that change is related to the menu at your favorite restaurant, or if it's related to your career, or if it's related to following Jesus. Change is difficult, even when we know we need the change or it's going to be good for us. Even when we're tired of going around and around in circles in our life, not able to get where we want to go. Kind of like the family in this video. I guess what we do is just drive around this circle here. Should be the second left exit. There's a hotel. Hey, look, kids! There's Big Ben and there's Parliament! There it is, there it is, there it is! I know. I can't seem to get over to the left, honey. I'll try next time. Sorry. We'll get out of this jam in a minute. Kids! Big Ben! Parliament! Again. We know Big Ben. Parliament. Look, kids, forget it. (laughs) It's amazing. I cannot get left. There's Big Ben, kids. Parliament. Honestly, I could have gone to any of the new roundabouts in Jefferson City and probably filmed the same footage. Sometimes life feels like this, like we're just stuck in a roundabout, going in circles, and we can't seem to get to the life that we think we want or that God has called us to. Let's talk ego for a few moments. Can we do that? Is this room big enough? What is ego? What do you hear of when you hear the word ego? I think for a lot of us, we picture some loud, obnoxious, arrogant bully. We think of pride or someone who thinks a lot of themselves, like he is such an ego or she is so egotistical. Well, if you read that today's sermon was going to be focused on maybe dying to your ego, Some of you probably thought, oh, I don't have to worry. I don't even like myself, so I don't have an ego problem. But ego, it literally means I. It means self. It's focused on us. It's our obsession with the self. And the question really is, how often are we thinking about ourselves or how something impacts us or an action, how is it going to impact our life? I heard a stat once that said that 8 out of 10 people in a gathering are thinking about themselves and what other people think of them. And this has given me a lot of confidence when I go to events, because I walk in going, wait, there's a really good chance no one is thinking about me at all and how awkward I am. So this is good. Whether you think highly of yourself or you don't think very highly of yourself at all, 
there's still an insatiable hunger that demands to be fed. Last week, I was working with my nephew on basketball, and we were practicing layups. And so I told him to picture that the box above the net was this hungry, greedy monster, and all it liked was basketballs. And so when he would go up for a layup, to go up strong and hard and just feed that that monster the basketball. And of course, my nephew nephew probably just laughed most of the time um, because he thought that was hilarious, especially as I got animated with voices. So once again, my lesson didn't really come through. But the idea that our ego is the same way. It has this hunger, this greed to be fed. And overcoming our ego isn't just getting over our pride or an inflated sense of our own importance and abilities. It's really about just getting over ourselves. The idea that it's not really about us, which isn't really simple at all. And it impacts each one of us. We all struggle with ego. We all struggled with self-centeredness, you and me. You know, pastors and Christian leaders struggle just as epically with the subtle seduction of ego, especially in regards to success and to worth. And there have been a lot of pastors in the news recently who have left or been asked to leave because of these, these crazy measures of success that they fell victim to. You know, a report of about 800 to 1,200 pastors leave the ministry every month because they're tired of the roundabout. So I promise we won't pretend this morning that getting over our ego is easy. I won't stand up here and say to you that I don't struggle with obsession with self, that I don't struggle with the idea that it's about me, that I don't secretly desire for you to think that I'm all it so that maybe I can believe I'm loved and that I'm worthy. So we won't lie to ourselves this morning about who is driving our lives. Because the reason our lives seem to go in circles, and we never seem to get to where we want to go or need to go, is that because there's a crazy person behind the wheel, and his name is Ego. We hand over the keys, and we let Ego drive us, and we just go in circles. The problem with getting stuck in a roundabout is that sometimes you get tricked into thinking that you're making progress because you're moving. And that is a seductive lie. The truth is we're stuck and missing out on the life that God dreams for God's children. We can see the road marked freedom, but we can't find the exit because our ego takes off in another direction, convincing us that freedom is just up ahead. And we see the road marked love, but we can't get there because ego takes a different route that ends up still being one crazy lane in the roundabout. And we can see the road marked peace, But others have us hemmed in, and our ego cannot find a way to get past them. So we settle for the same nowhere-going path that we've been on. Our devotion to ego leads us into a circle of insanity where we keep doing the same thing over and over again without any different results. So how do we find our way out? How do we make the exit off the roundabout? A couple of years ago, I, I went to Atlanta for a meeting, and like most urban areas, they have a pretty advanced system, public transit system, so that you don't have to rent a car or deal with traffic or parking. So after my plane landed, I, I, I rode the MARTA train into the downtown part of Atlanta, and I uh, switched a couple of lines and arrived at that station that I knew was closest to the hotel where I'd be staying. And I tried to memorize ahead of time the direction so that once I exited the station, I could just go to my hotel and I wouldn't look like 
a tourist other than the rolling suitcase I was pulling with me by outside eateries late at night. Well, when I passed the same eating venue for the third time, I had to admit something to myself. I did not know where I was going. So I could keep circling the block with my rolling suitcase, hoping that somehow the hotel would just get up from its foundation and come meet me, or I could admit that I needed help and someone to show me the way. Some of us this morning need to admit that we don't know where we're going. We don't know how to get there. We don't know the way. That we keep traveling the same tired blocks like a dog chasing its tail. And in the prophetic words of you too, we still haven't found what we're looking for. It is possible to lead a wholesome life by Western Christianity standards. To have a good job, to get married, to have kids, to go to a great church and still never discover the life that Jesus intends for us to live. So how do we exit the roundabout? It begins with considering that fact and confessing that we are letting our ego drive us, that we are self-absorbed and self-centered, that we are more concerned with and committed to ourselves than to Christ, and we need to repent. Thomas Keating writes that repentance means to change the way in which you look for happiness. I like that definition. We need to hand over the keys to the car or ask God to pry them out of our fingers despite our protest and then find a way to trust that God knows the way to freedom and to real happiness. Not an easy way or a shortcut, but a way that leads to real life. Not a fake life or a life warmed over but to an abundant life. Maybe we are hesitant to give over the keys to Jesus because if we're honest, we don't trust him. Over the last few chapters in Luke, he has been setting up the reader for who exactly Jesus is. In chapter 7, after Jesus forgave the woman in sin and interrupted his dinner with the Pharisees, they asked among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And in chapter 8, after Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples said to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even wind and water, and they obey him? And earlier in chapter 9, Herod asked, Who is this about whom I hear such things? So everyone he came across, the Pharisees, the disciples, Herod, they were perplexed at who Jesus was. The time had come for Jesus to pull them aside and to make clear not only who he was, but what he had in store for them, and what is in store for us as we follow him. The question for you this morning may be, who do you say Jesus is? Your honest answer to that question will determine so much in your life and whether you're able to hand over the keys. The Asaro tribe of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea has a beautiful saying, Knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. What we understand and learn about Jesus is only a rumor to us until we live it and integrate it so it becomes a part of us. So our answer this morning to the question of who do you say I am can't be an intellectual answer or an answer from our mind. It needs to be an answer from our heart. If Jesus were to ask you, who do you say I am, what would be your heart response? Not the Sunday school answers or the cliche answers, but rather the answer that comes when your feet are held to the fire, 
or your heart is broken and shattered, or when your life is on the line, or when in the quiet your ego says to you, you're not enough, no one loves you. Do you trust that Jesus died for you? Can you believe that God forgives you? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Jesus' redemptive love, his saving grace and forgiveness are what make us worthy. Our worth does not come through great accomplishments, nor does it come from other people's acceptance of us or rejection of us. And when we are so caught up in our own sense of inability and insecurity that we can never see God's promise or possibility, then we can never experience the fullness of life. Those are all roads that lead to nowhere. Jesus tells us that our worth is in him and his love for us. And that is where transformation from death to new life comes from. It does not come from earning love. It comes from trusting that we are loved. In his book, Abba's Child, Brennan Manning writes this. The heart converted from mistrust to trust in the irreversible forgiveness of Jesus Christ is nothing less than a new creation. And all ambiguity about personal identity is blown away. The promised peace that the world cannot give is located in being in right relationship with God. The promised peace that the world cannot give us is actually found in right relationship with God. Life-changing faith begins with trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Transformation begins with being loved, but not earning love. And in the process of transformation, the Spirit of God moves us from behaviors motivated by fear and self-protection to trust and abandonment to God. From the ego's desperate attempts to control the outcomes of our life, to an ability to give ourselves over to the will of God, which is often the foolishness of this world. Maybe we are hesitant to give the keys over, because if we're honest, we don't really trust Jesus. We don't really trust that he loves us, that he forgives us, that he is enough for us. Or maybe we're hesitant to give over the keys because we don't want to give up control of our lives. We want new life without the dying process, and we cannot figure out why we can't have the life that we were called to have. Author Dallas Willard explains it like this. If your neighbor is having trouble with his automobile, you might think that he's bought a lemon, and you might be right. But if you found that he was supplementing his gasoline with a quart of water now and then, you would not blame the car or its maker for it not working or for it running in fits and starts. You would say that the car was not built to work under the conditions imposed by the owner. And you would certainly advise him only to put in the appropriate kind of fuel. After some restorative work, perhaps the car would work then fine. We must approach current disappointments about our walk with Christ in the same way. It too is not meant to run on just anything you might give it. If it doesn't work at all, or only in fits and starts, that is because we do not give ourselves to it in a way that allows our life to be taken over by it. If it doesn't work at all, or if it works in fits or starts, that is because we do not give ourselves 
to it in a way that allows our life to be taken over by it. The disciples knew that Jesus was Messiah, but it was not enough to know who he was. They had to commit themselves to him, give their allegiance to him. They had to allow their lives to be taken over by it. And with verse 25, we understand clearly that Jesus does not ask us to lose ourselves. He rather invites us to discover our true self by following him. In her book, Pastrix, Reverend Nadia Boltzweber wrote this. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And infuriating things like, if you seek to find your life, you will lose it. But if you, those who lose their life will find it. She goes on to say, and every time I die to something, my notions of my own specialness, my plans and desires for something to be a particular way, every single time I fight it, and yet every single time I discover more life and more freedom than if I would gotten what I wanted. If you hand over the keys to God, or if God takes them from you like a designated driver who loves you enough to ignore your protests, there's no promise that the road you take off the roundabout will be easy. It may be grueling. It may be full of sharp turns and nauseating curves. There may be speed bumps and checkpoints and depressing scenery for miles. But while you're on that road, you look to your left and you see who you're with. And when you trust Jesus, you will say, it is well. It is well with my soul because of the one who goes with me. And this life, this life, even with all its potholes, is a hundred times better than the roundabout. This morning, Jesus asked you and me, who do you say I am? What is our heart response to that question? Again, not a Sunday school answer or a cliche answer, but the answer that comes when our feet are held to the fire, our heart is shattered, our life is on the line, or that ego voice says to us, you're not loved, you don't matter. Can you trust that Jesus died for you? Can you trust that he loves you, that he likes you, that he's crazy about you? And my question to you and me this morning is this. Do we want off the roundabout? Or do we want to keep circling, convinced that we can find meaningful life around the corner, even when we're on our 18th loop around the same place? Do we want our ego to continue to be the driving force in our life? I don't know about you, but I have learned that we're horrible masters. We're exhausting and neurotic and difficult to please. So do we desire and ache to be rescued from self-centeredness, from our suffocating self-obsession? That will only happen when we deny ourselves, that we live beyond ourselves and we live outside of ourselves. And here is the thing. We will have to do this every day. Denying ourselves is not a one-time act, but a daily choice to hand over the keys and let Jesus in the driver's seat. My hope for us is this, that every time we grab our keys, that we may be prompted to ask, who is driving my life right now? Me or Jesus? 
And then before we take another step with those keys, may we trust that Jesus will do a better job because he loves us and slide on over to the passenger seat. In John 10, 10, Jesus says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is a promise to you and to me. And so I want us to replace they with our name, and I want us to say it aloud together. Jesus came that I, Melissa, may have life and have it abundantly. You're not Melissa, so you say your name when we get to that blank. Jesus came that I, Melissa, may have life and have it abundantly. Say it like you really mean it. Jesus came that I, Melissa, may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us, for liking us, for delighting in us, for being crazy about us. We thank you for having a dream and a hope for each of us that we would have life abundantly and the promise that that cannot be found anywhere outside of life with you. This morning, I pray, God, that you'll help us to be honest with the question, who do we say you are? Do we really trust you? Do we really believe you're our Savior? Do we really believe that you can lead our lives better than we can on our own? And Father, we pray that the Spirit will do whatever work it needs to do in us in order to get to the point where we can trust that, that we can trust you. Father, I pray for clarity this morning, too, that we'll be able to see if we're on a roundabout. If we can see that we're stuck somewhere in an unending circle, a circle that doesn't bring life, definitely not abundant life. And we pray that you'll give us the courage and the wisdom to ask you to take control. We pray that you'll continue to bless our worship time as we respond now to you and the word that you have for each of us this morning. In your name we pray, amen.